This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today in the podcast, we're talking with San Jose Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. Actually, my friend Tal Copen, the Chronicle's Washington correspondent, is talking to Lofgren about her new role. It's nicknamed the Mayor of Capitol Hill. It's a behind-the-scenes, under-the-radar job that has a lot of power. Next, here's Tal talking to Zoe Lofgren on It's All Political. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So thank you for joining us. Of course. On what is always a busy day up in Washington. Mm -hmm. Last week was a big week for you. Uh, and Democrats in right. the majority passed HR one. So Big week for the American people. There you go. So why don't you we start by telling us a little bit about HR one? HR one uh, is was a comprehensive uh, reform bill uh, that related to you know three broad areas. One, uh, making it easier for Americans uh, to register and cast their votes. Uh, two, dealing with uh, dark money and uh, trying to make sure that. Uh, there's disclosure, and three, uh, broadening ethical standards in all three branches of government. I feel like it's sort of an interesting role that maybe people back home don't necessarily understand up here, but you were sort of the quarterback for the bill, right? Correct. You didn't write it. Well, I wrote had, part of it. Right, but it was, you know, it had Sarbanes' name on it, but you you had a really important role. Right, I managed the bill, and we did the markup in House administration, which I chair, and people... House administration committees got interesting jurisdiction. I mean, people call you mayor of Capitol <laughs> Hill because you have that role, but we also have jurisdiction over campaign finance and elections, as well as, you know, the Library of Congress and Smithsonian Institute and the like. So this was our campaign finance jurisdiction. Uh, a, a bunch of committees had hearings, but we did the markup, and we uh, managed the... Uh, the measure in on the floor and really trouble shot the the measure as issues came up. We came up with solutions, which we included in the uh, manager's memo. And let's talk a little bit more about that. Just like I said, for folks back home who don't understand what managing a bill mm -hmm. means. I mean, it's a lot of work, right? You have yes, a lot of procedural <laughs> things you have to do. So let's talk a little bit about what it means to get a bill from sort of conception to actual passage. Well, it, it, one of the things, I'll, I'll give you an example of the part of the bill that I wrote. I have had a bill to require citizen, uh, nonpartisan citizen commissions in every state for redistricting. Um, California has it, Arizona has it, 
And really, it's much better than partisan gerrymandering. And both parties do the gerrymandering. It's not just Democrats. I mean, uh, and I think most people in both parties feel that the voters ought to be choosing their politicians instead of the reverse. So, okay, I took a look at the bill I introduced you know, a few years ago, and it needed some work. Um, so I um, refined it. I got uh, assistance from experts. Uh, the Brennan Center is a nonprofit uh, organization that specializes in election law. They were very helpful. I reached out to the civil rights community and incorporated uh, issues that they had, and it was better afterwards. Um, when we held the markup in House administration, uh, some of the Republican members complained about Allen's. I don't think they're not for it. There was nothing we could have done that would have uh, uh, caused them to support the bill. Uh, but they did have certain pointed uh, complaints that we took seriously. Uh, one of which was there is a pilot uh, project for vouchers. There is also a voluntary uh, small donor match program. And there, the source of funds, as originally drafted, was uh, taxpayer funds. They strongly objected to that. And I thought, you know, that's, that's not uh, all wrong, what they're saying. So we found a different source of funding. So there's no taxpayer money in, in those programs. Uh, people don't want the idea that your tax money would support a candidate you don't agree with. People don't like that. And understandably. So what we did was a, a small additional assessment on corporate wrongdoing and tax fraud. And so it's like the bad guys are funding the good, clean <laughs> system. It's kind of uh, elegant. Um, we They complained, and I think correctly, that the bill had uh, a holiday for federal employees only. Well, you know, if we're going to have an election holiday, it should be for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so we deleted that. And we're going to work uh, following the bill to see if we can find a, a holiday to swap uh, for Election Day because it's federal holidays are expensive. Mm -hmm. So that's something that will be follow on. Um, you know, all that happened before we went to the Rules Committee. Right. Then, uh, you know, we worked with the Rules Committee to give them my opinion on what the rules, uh, the amendments and they, they uh, allowed a huge number of amendments. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I'm, uh, when you have the bill on the floor, you have hours of debate, which I manage. Right. So, and I think, you know, part of this is, is what the American people don't necessarily see because, and, you know, I'll take some heat for this. We don't exactly cover the rules committee quite a bit, right. you know. But, and we're starting to have to write about procedure a little bit with these motions to recommit right. that Republicans, but there are a lot of procedural steps that go into mm -hmm. actually passing a bill that are somewhat pro forma, but still take a lot of work, right? Well, and they're not always pro forma. I mean, we had, I think, 72 amendments in order on the bill, and some of them, um, you know, were minor, some of them weren't. And you know, we debated them, considered them. Uh, they changed the bill, in many cases, for the better. Um, you know, there were amendments to completely gut the bill that were turned down. So, uh, you know, that's the way we're supposed to operate here, that, uh, you know, people with different points of view representing different districts in the country weigh in to see where, you know, how the bill is going to be end up. Um, and then, of course, at the end, we had the 
Victoria's motion to recommit, which was bogus. I mean, really, it was, um, you know, this was a bill using our Article I, Section 4 jurisdiction about federal elections. And the motion to uh, recommit was kind of a gotcha amendment that, you know, people who are not citizens shouldn't vote. Well, that's already law. Mm -hmm. And they even said so. In, in, you know, federal law already prohibits non-citizens. Mm -hmm. So why are they doing this? Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the freshmen stood up and said, this is just uh, a joke, mm -hmm. and, we're, and we're not going to do it. Yeah, and, and, and motions to recommit, just, you know, briefly for those who aren't familiar, it's, it's one of these procedural steps that every bill, sort of a last shot for the minority to introduce something to with, change the bill. With 30 seconds notice. Right, and, and you know, typically... It's just sort of a everyone kind of votes by party line, but this has been tripping up some of the Democrats. Well, and it has because, you know, many of our new members have never served in a legislative body before. They're not familiar with the procedures here yet. And they're, it's, they're not serious efforts to legislate. Right. They're just, you know, 30-second uh, ambushes primarily to set up a vote for a political ad. Mm -hmm. And they should be treated in that manner because that's all they are. And so turning to House Admin, you mentioned the, mm -hmm. the mayor of Capitol right. Hill. So what are some of the you know interesting things that as chairwoman of this committee you're going to get to work on? Well, I mean, we're going to, yesterday, we approved the interim uh, regulations for paid internships. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that uh, we've been concerned about is that, uh, you know, we don't, our budgets have declined over time. Um, and costs have gone up, and so it's very difficult to find money in the budget to pay interns who aren't really doing a job. It's an educational program. Um, so each office is going to have a modest sum uh, to compensate in, with a stipend some interns. And, and that's important because not every uh, young person who wants this educational experience has a family who can give them the money mm -hmm. to come and live here unpaid. So we want to broaden it and make sure that a lot of Americans from every uh, economic uh, segment of society has the same kind of opportunity. So that's that was a fun thing to do. Yeah, and, and let's say I wanted to lobby for a blue bottle in the Capitol, that would be something. You that would, would also be something that, uh, you know, I've had people say, can't we get the heat turned up? <laughs> it turns out we can. Well, there you go. Well, with, with more women serving in, in Congress, right, it's always too cold if you're wearing a dress, too right? Too cold. And we also got um, menstrual products put in the ladies' oh. room uh, at the request of some of the younger women. Um, we now have a changing table in the ladies' room. Um, and these are important things. They you are. Think about it. I mean, you're managing a workplace of, I guess, with staff, probably th thousands of people. Mm -hmm. That's know. over 10,000 people yeah. on the Hill, counting everybody. And right. it's not like all political staff. I mean, there's there's janitors, there's construction guys. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's plumbers. I mean, you got to keep the Seven, building going. Multiple restaurants that are mm -hmm. all staffed. Correct. And yeah, it's, it's sort of a little city up it here. It is like a little city. Yeah, with lots of tunnels for the winter yes. <laughs> and the humid summers. Uh, so and another, you know, leadership position you have, of course, is you're the chairwoman of the Immigration Subcommittee right. on the Judiciary Committee. And, and that's, I should, I'm 
want to say obviously, maybe not obviously to everyone listening, but that's an issue you've worked on for a long time. Yes, you were an immigration attorney. You know, I, know, I taught immigration law yeah. at Santa Clara Law School. So, and and the Democrats just introduced their new version of the Dream Act, which Dream includes and TPS, some other right. immigrants. So, what are some of the things you would like to see happen? Well, I want to have top to bottom reform. Uh, the question is, is that achievable at this moment with uh, Donald Trump as president um, and a Senate in Republican hands? So. We're doing some assessments on what we can accomplish. I don't want to spin my wheels in something that is can't happen right now. Uh, I think what we're looking at is what has an opportunity to be approved in this Congress. And if we could get a third or half of the job done and then finish it with a Democratic president, you know, that would be an accomplishment compared to what we've done. We've been spinning our wheels for a long, long time. Uh, I I have hopes that we can get the DREAM Act and TPS done. It's a very reasonable approach. I've introduced a bill uh, with Diane Feinstein in the Senate to legalize agricultural workers, mm -hmm. and we're working uh, with uh, to see, that's the baseline, to see if we can't get some agreement among uh, the various stakeholders on uh uh, additions to that bill, if we could get agreement, that would be a very important thing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I hope to do something. There's a, It's an arcane area, but it's important to the people involved. We allocate visas on the business side and family side, for that matter, based on where you're born. Mm -hmm. And so Iceland gets the same number of visas as India. Well, Iceland has a population of 350,000 people. Mm -hmm. India has a population of 1.2 and a lot of computer scientists. Yeah. So we have a huge backlog from India. And so people are come over on a temporary visa and then they're in limbo right. for a, a long time, which isn't good for them. It's not good for their families. It's not good for our country. And so we've got a bill that's got broad bipartisan support to allocate the visas just on merit, mm -hmm. not on where you're born. And that, will that wouldn't fix everything, but it will help even out this kind of disparity that we have. Well, and this is hugely important for the Bay Area, right, where you have yes, all these high-skilled visa holders. You know, there's so many issues with how long they have to wait for green cards. Their kids age out. That's and exactly the right. Country. You know, we now see the administration moving forward with their plan to strip work authorization for, for the spouses of right. these high-skilled visas. It's a field day for Canadian recruiters, I'll yeah. tell you. So, you know, I... I believe, if I recall, that even last Congress, that bill had enough co-sponsors to pass. It did. It had over 300, but they never really uh, moved it. So um, we've got over 200. Now, we just introduced 219, enough to, to, to pass it on the floor. We believe we'll get more. We're going to have a hearing on that in the subcommittee in the near future, and I hope that we can move that. Mm -hmm. um, there are some other things I'd like to accomplish as well. Um, you know, sometimes these things may seem minor, but they really matter a lot to people. One of the things I would like to get some bipartisan support for is altering something we did that really didn't work out well in the 1996, which is to impose a uh, bar or an exile on people who are otherwise eligible for a visa if they entered without inspection. It's really uh, unequal because if you come to the U.S., overstay your visa, and marry an American citizen, you can become a legal resident. Right. But if you if you walk in, 
marry an American citizen, then you can't. You have to leave for 10 years. Well, no one's going to do that. Your kids are going to be teenagers by the time you get back. So uh, if we could alter that for the spouses of American citizens, that would be a good thing to do. Yeah, and this is, this is a really big part of the DACA debate that sort of gets glossed over. But, you know, you hear from a lot of people, well, why can't they just you know, wait in line like the rest of us, and, and it's because... Well, we've created, we have created policies that promote illegality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, the federal government should not be in the role of breaking up marriages. I mean, that's not a proper role for the federal government. So if you've got an American citizen who's, who married someone, um, you know, what we're really saying is you, either the marriage has to break up or the American has to go live in another country. Well, that's not what we should be doing. We should allow families, uh, you know, to, to flourish here in the U.S. And there's one other leadership position you hold that I wanted to ask you about. Only which one? Is, well, <laughs> <laughs> but you, at least one, let's say. Uh, you are the chair of the California Democratic Party. That's Congress. correct. So what does that entail? It's, it's really an honor. I, you know, it's an elected position, elected by the other uh, Californians, and uh, you know, we meet every week when we're in session at lunch on Wednesday, which we meet today. Um, and, you know, we do a variety of things. We try and reach consensus on issues when we can. Uh, it's a, a focal point for uh, connecting with uh, California interests, uh, including uh, local governments, state governments, sometimes uh, nonprofits. I, I think we have the L.A. City Council coming in mm-hmm. today to, to visit with us. The governor was here a couple weeks ago. Oh, did to he meet come to us. the lunch? Uh, not to the lunch. We had a separate oh, okay. meeting. Um, you know, sometimes we just get to know each other better. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's a great delegation now, 46 strong. The biggest. The biggest. The Democrats are bigger than the entire delegation of any other state. And we're really, we're 20% of the Democratic caucus. And... One thing I've been wondering about the California delegation, is there a Northern California, Southern California rivalry? <laughs> Not really. Not really? Um, no, it's interesting. I know that historically that was true, but that has changed a lot over time. Um, you know, the, <clears throat> it's a very diverse delegation. Um, I think that we tend to agree on most, on most matters. Obviously, there are things that are regional, um, but, for example, when we had a problem with the Trump administration on a transit project in uh, the Bay Area. All the Southern Californians rallied around as well. And when there's an issue, I mean, there's a disaster in Southern California, we rally around. So we mm-hmm. try and, uh, you know, stick up for the whole state. What's it like having the speaker be from the delegation? Well, it's great. She comes to almost all our meetings and, um, you know, they're, it's not the case for every delegation that you can sit and have lunch with the Speaker of the House once a week and bring up things of interest. But she she also seems pretty good. She she keeps an eye on California, but she also seems like she doesn't. She tries not to favor them too. Oh, much. absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But um, you know, we have seven new members. Yeah. Uh, none of them has served in uh, public office before, so they're in it. They all bring something you know special. I mean, they're smart and have great experiences, but not a legislative experience. That's fascinating. So none of them have served in a legislative body before. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're, they're uh, bringing new views, and it's, it's been fun to work with them. Several of them have uh, ended up in 
key positions. Mm -hmm. uh, Katie Hill is the uh, liaison to the leadership. Uh, T.J. Cox is chairing a subcommittee mm -hmm. uh, on oversight. So it's, you know, it's great. Can I ask which which of them have particularly impressed you? No, you can't. I mean, you can ask, <laughs> but I'm not going to say. Uh, they all bring something different. Yeah. I've been generally watching the freshmen. I've been struck mm -hmm. by how many of the new members are really, they, they hit the ground running at hearings. Yep. They know how to answer they know how to ask questions. They know how to answer our questions from the press. It's mm -hmm. been it's been actually kind of surprising how many of them seem ready to go. No, they're very smart. They're very. Uh, it's really an impressive group. Um, but as I say, I mean, on the floor they've got something to say, but they might not know what are the words you say to get recognized right. by the speakers. So you help them out on little things like so, that. So circling back, is that the type of thing that you know, as admin chair? That you can you can help people on things that you know it's not like they need to know the the policy issues but some of the arcane house issues yeah you can help them on that is that the type of thing you know I, I feel like the California delegation in addition to the freshmen has a lot of veteran members too folks who have been up right. here a really long time so what are some of the advantages you know as Dems retake the majority after a fair number of years out well, of it we've got a mix I mean we have several uh, chairpersons. Uh, we, myself, uh, chair of Veterans Affairs, chair of Financial Services, um, and then a bunch of chairs of subcommittees. So that's, um, you know, gives us a leg up in terms of forming policy. But it's, it's, a, it's also something that is a challenge to us that we're working on is we got people who've been here, you know, on the senior level, some in between and brand newbies. Mm -hmm. So how do we help our newbies uh, get the experience they need to take a leadership role sooner rather than later. Uh, they're capable, but how do we help them find their sea legs in the Congress? So that's something we're actively working on because uh, it's important, not only because they are uh, very impressive, but we want California uh, to have the benefit and the country to have the benefit of their expertise. Well, as, as Nancy Pelosi often says, as California goes... So Correct. Correct. <laughs> so perhaps as the caucus goes, so goes the right. the broader the broader caucus. So put you on the spot for a final thought. What are you most looking forward to next as as the majority sort of gets running? I really would like to get some pro some progress made on immigration. Um, we're doing a lot of damage to the country by uh, failing to take very simple steps to reform. Uh, the laws that are not serving us well. And I know I'm going to be frustrated. We're not going to be able to do everything I want to do, but it really is doing tremendous damage to the country, and I hope that we can make some progress there. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank for you. Joining us. This was fun. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank uh, Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren for being on today's podcast. I'd like to thank Tal Copen for taking the reins today. I'd like to thank Libby Coleman for again wonderfully producing today's podcast and remember whether you're the mayor of capitol hill or sharing an apartment with five buddies it's all political it's all political as part of the san francisco chronicle podcast network audrey cooper is our editor-in-chief our music our theme music that we have is cattle call that's written by randy clark and performed by randy clark and crow song if you like this show subscribe rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. 
For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.